Hi everybody, it's Dan and Chris back with another episode of A Father's Love Healing Through Heartache. Uh, we're just two dads who are trying to find some positive things that come out of the loss of our sons Mason and Jameson. And this podcast is one of those things where we're just sharing openly our grief and the process of trying to take one step at a time as we learn to live our, our new lives and uh, we hope that along the way that we can help some other people deal with their grieves and, and have the same uh, success taking some steps that we do. So, Chris, welcome back, my friend. Dan, as always, great to be back with you. So this week, uh, Chris and I are going to start talking about our mental health. Uh, it's something that obviously is a big deal for anybody that's lost a child or anybody that's grieving, mental health is a real issue. And even outside of the world of grief, mental health is a real issue in today's world. So we're going to uh, we're going to trace back to the first few weeks and months when we lost Mason and we lost Jameson and just see see where things go talking about our mental health. So Chris, um, when I guess we'll start because you had about a week in the hospital with Mason yep. um, leading up to his passing and after a few days you knew where it was heading. Uh, do you want to talk about your mental health before Mason actually took his last breath and how you and Amanda were handling things and how it changed through the week? Yeah, uh, so Mason, you know, we had a really good, or in our opinion, we thought we had a good chance that we were going to make out make it out of Mason's ADEM, you know, unscathed, I guess is a good way to put it. It had a good prognosis. Most kids that got it, I think it's around the 90 or 93% range, maybe 95% range of kids that get ADEM. Um completely recover and never have any issues in the future. So we were really hopeful that Mason was going to be, that's a pretty high number. When you hear 95%, you think, okay, we're going to get through this. So I remember the initial fear of not knowing what was going on with Mason. So I remember the doctor telling me saying, we figured out what it is. We think he has something called ADEM. And it has a pretty good prognosis. We're going to start him on the or on the steroid right now to start reducing his brain swelling. Um, and then kind of as the time went on, I could feel, uh, and I did the majority of the time in the hospital, um, and I could just tell it wasn't progressing the way I wanted to. Now, they were very upfront with us and told us that it was going to be a long haul. Um, that it wasn't something that just recovered in a day or two, that it could take weeks or months. Um, but they said we should start to see at least some improvement within the three to five days of steroids um, to reduce uh, the swelling in his brain. And by day three, I could tell he was still not making that progress that I wanted to see. So I was starting to get nervous. Um, I was starting to really get nervous. And as the time went on and, you know, Eventually, when I actually was right there, when I know Mason uh, was brain dead, when he went through his moment and his brain swelled too much, I remember the exact moment 
Um, I think that's when the mental health kicked in right away. Um, I knew right then and there that I had literally just watched my son become brain dead. I heard him take his last deep sigh. Uh, it was a real deep breath and something sound wrong. And I went up to him and I remember seeing his body covered in like this rash. And, um, you know, as a firefighter, uh, I'm not an EMT, uh, but I am a medical first responder. And I opened up his eyelids and I remember his eyes were they were not there anymore. It was completely dilated. His eyes were not Mason's eyes anymore. And I knew right then and there that it was really bad. You know, as a parent, you always hope for the best, but I think deep in my heart, I already knew he was gone. And, you know, the hard part of calling Amanda to get to the hospital as quick as possible. When the doctor told us that he was brain dead, you know, Amanda took it much worse than me, I think, because I already knew he was brain dead. Um, and just the difficulty, the mental anguish, knowing now that we have to make that decision to pull him off life support because uh, he'll never come out of his vegetative state now. Um, very difficult mentally. Initially, we had a lot of counselors um, in the hospital that came to try to help us religious counselors, um, my priest, all of them came, but it doesn't matter how much counseling you go through. Nothing can really mentally prepare you for, uh, taking your child off of life support. And it was extremely difficult. Um, everything was difficult from the moment. Um, the nurse carried him to us as we held him until he passed up until, that drive home from the hospital, which is the longest one hour drive I've ever done in my life <clears throat> in just pure silence, knowing that I just left my son at the hospital who's no longer with us. And somehow now I have to figure out how to move on. And it was really hard. It's hard mentally because you, at least for me as a dad, you want to be the the leader of your family, the spiritual leader, the emotional leader, the positive person. And I was just a straight mess. Um, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think. I had to be alone. Um, I couldn't stop crying. I cried for weeks and weeks and weeks, literally from the second I woke up to the second I went to bed. Very few moments of me not crying. And it was really hard mentally. And of course, I got into counseling as quick as I could. In fact, we were home in New York for Mason's funeral, and I was already talking to um, a grief counselor over the phone, um, trying to start to work things out. And it took a lot of time. Um, you know, I think Dan and I have said it that as time moves on, the pain is always there, but you just learn to deal with the grief a little differently so it doesn't overtake you consistently. Um, and that's kind of what mental health counseling has done for me. It's helped me be able to focus and get back to work, concentrate on work, take care of my wife, take care of my kids, step up when I need to, when another, listen, this is life, right? There's always going to be something that's going to get thrown at you that you might not be mentally ready for 
Um, and that counseling is really kind of what got me through it. Um, I did the military council. I have a military counselor and a civilian counselor. Um, and to be honest, the military counseling really kind of, uh, and the civilian counseling, they both co they work together really well for me, at least, um, in figuring out other issues I might've had that I didn't even realize from past deployments and past, you know, my job as a firefighter, I've seen lots of, not lots, but I've seen people pass away and just things that maybe I was holding on to that I didn't even realize it. Um, and all those counseling sessions really helped me get to the point where I am now where I feel like I can function on a day to day, you know, I'm going to have my bad days. Yesterday was a pretty bad day for me. Uh, we went to a birthday party for my little guy and his friend's brother uh, was kind of hanging out with them. And I just said, Hey, how old are you, man? And he said he was nine years old and it totally threw me because Mason would be nine. And it was just kind of like, wow, Mason would be that big now. I didn't even realize he'd probably be that tall. And, you know, it just, it, it, it really kind of put me in a damper mood. And then um, Mason's favorite restaurant was Chili's. And where we live, there is no Chili's. But where we went to for this birthday party, about an hour away, there was a Chili's. So we decided to go to dinner there just for Mason, just kind of remember him. It just kind of put me in, not in like a negative mood, but just kind of like a, a down in the dumps kind of mood. Um, but my mental health skills that I've learned from going to counseling and all that, I was able to kind of get through it where even though it wasn't a great moment, um, I could still remember the good things from Mason, if that makes sense. So, you know, that's kind of been my, my initial couple days dealing with grief. It was extremely difficult. And then it's a, it's a process that takes a long time. It's not something that can be done in a week or a month or even a year you know it could be two three four years and you're still going to counseling there's nothing wrong with that if it helps you get through the days so uh yeah dan that's that's kind of how i got through it okay and your experience in those first days leading up to mason's passing are obviously different i had the 10 hours uh so i don't i don't really have anything to share other than the fact that, yeah, I spent that whole night playing the what if, or should I, should I take Jameson to the hospital? Nope, it's just the flu. They're going to send us right home and there's no point. Um, so let's, uh, let's move then and focus a little more into that, the day of and the day after, just that immediate time frame when you knew Mason was gone, when I knew Jameson was gone. Did you notice any uh, big changes in your, your mental health from the lead up to the immediate after effects? Um, you know, I think the grief, you know, I know I've used the analogy before the, 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 on the boat, you know, analogy, and that's literally what it feels like. Like those first couple days of grief, you f literally feel like you're drowning. You cannot breathe. You cannot think. You're in straight trying to survive mode, if that's the best way to put it. And how are you going to survive with such a giant loss? And that's really where I was the first probably month 
of how the heck am I even going to do this? How am I going to, you know, how are we going to do this as a family? How am I going to do this? How am I going to be able to be a leader in my family, take care of my family? I can't even, I can't even concentrate right now. I can't do anything without thinking of Mason literally 24 seven. And now you have to help take care of your wife who I did not take care of. I, I could not help Amanda at all when we first lost Mason. Um, I understand it now. Uh, we have we all deal with grief a different way. My way of dealing with grief is I had to be alone. I couldn't be with anyone, nobody. Um, but Amanda, her way of dealing with grief, she wanted to be with her family, close with her family. The problem with that was who's going to take care of the boys, right? Um, she ended up taking the brunt of that, that first month, really, when we were in New York, cause I was gone all the time. I was at Mason's grave. I barely, I feel like I'd never left. I was always there, um, just crying to be honest. And, uh, you know, I think that affected Amanda too. She wasn't able to start dealing with her grief until later. And, um, I do feel bad about it, but when you're in such extreme grief, you don't even think about those kinds of things. I think that's the hard part about it. You know, you don't even think about how it's affecting everyone else because you're literally in pure straight survival mode. So uh, I don't know if you, Dan, you guys had that same kind of experience as well, or, um, you know, how, how you guys got through it, how, how you and Erica maybe dealt with it differently or the same. Yeah. And survival mode is the best way to say it. Uh, it, I think back to Dennis talking about the step-by-step. -step. That is exactly what the first few days and weeks were for me and Erica. Just literally, can we take that step to get out of the bed just to go to the bathroom? Can we literally take that step to go get food? Uh, just every single action was a huge struggle because we were mentally destroyed. Uh, we were actually, I think, I think Eric and I both were actually, I guess it's more numbness right off the bat because you're in total shock that your kid just died. Um, and I don't think our body and our minds were processing that realistically that yet that our perfectly normal, healthy, happy family living our great new life in the mountains was suddenly shattered forever. Um, so I think for the shock was the biggest thing for us initially. Um, and with that, just, yeah, just a numbness to the whole world. And yeah, when you throw in the fact that as a spouse, you have to try to try to help take care of your spouse and do so in a way where you're allowing them to grieve but not trying to fix anything and taking care of your kid who may or may not understand it and however they're processing it and trying to see if they're holding stuff in or if they're letting stuff out and are they healthy. Um, there's a lot going on that it's just, it's impossible. It's literally impossible to, to do everything that we do, that we need to do. And I was, that's why, one of the reasons I was so thankful that 
some of our friends, they they came and started taking Reese to school every day. So we could remove him, at least remove him from our day and let him try to be a kid and not be around us being sad and whatever effect that may have on him. And we could just stay in bed and, and cry or, or do whatever we needed to do. Um, I think... For me, as I've shared before, there was a, a ton of the questioning God, like we talked about last week, um, trying to figure out why was God punishing me, and what did I do that was so awful that he had to take my son. And then there was also, I think, I've shared a few times that, for me, the, the what if, what if I had taken Jameson to the hospital, and would it have been any different? And... So those are all hard things that just, they destroy you. They literally destroy you mentally. And and that transfers into the physical part of it as well. Um, so I know, yeah, I don't, I was just, no. Well, let me ask you this. I don't know if you had the same thing as me, but um, I don't know if, You've heard, um, you might have, you know, when people lose an arm or a leg, they have those phantom pains. Um, have you ever heard that before? They feel like they still have their arm right. or leg, even though their arm or leg has been amputated. I, I really felt like I was having um, phantom pains, right? Like I, I fully expected Mason to walk through the door for a long time uh, for me personally. And it was just like this, this, oh yeah, I forgot. I lost my son. Like you... You start getting into um, another routine again, uh, at least for us. And I'd be like, oh, okay, uh, let me go do the laundry, right? Picking up all the laundry. And I'm like, oh, I got to go get Mason's clothes. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't have to get Mason's clothes. There's nothing to do there, you know? Like, just little phantom pains. I, I just call them that. I don't know if there's, like, an actual term for it. But for a long time, probably my first two or three months, I had a lot of those of, just expecting Mason to walk in the door from playing outside with his friends or getting some popsicles for his friends, you know, a lot of typical things that he did. It took a while for those, um, those expectations to go away, I guess. Uh, did you experience that at all? I don't remember expecting. Uh, I certainly hoped. Um, there's always that hope that somehow that kid that you know is dead is going to still walk in the door, and somehow it was all the big dream. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't remember anything of expecting it. But there is, we've talked about before, the new life that we're, you, you have no choice. You have to learn to live with this new life that you've been given. And that does come with the fact that every single thing now is going to not include Mason and Jameson. And yeah, folding, I mean, folding laundry and you pair out a pair, pull out a pair of underwear, cooking din dinner and setting one place instead of two for us and three instead of four for you. Um, just everything. One drive into school. There's two, there's two car seats in the back seat of the car. One of them is full. One is empty. There's every yeah. aspect, and 
walking so down is the car seat. Is that car seat still in there for you? We've uh, we removed it finally. I think it was it was at some point. I think it was the second year, probably, that we removed that. Yeah, um, yeah we we. It took me. It took us about a year uh, for that as well. Yeah, just things that you keep keep there, right? Like we kept Mason's shoes out for the longest time, just right there, like it was totally normal. Um, I I think those are like mental health aspects, mental health aspects uh, to kind of help you cope with it. I guess I don't know if you agree or not. Or yep. I think the basket of shoes is, I think, the one thing left in the house that we have not cleared out, because um, it just, it just sat there in the table. Reese had his yeah. basket, and Jameson had his, and and his shoes are still in there. I think we've managed to make it through everything else. But yeah, like we discussed a few weeks ago, when you when you put everything in a box and close that lid. I mean, you're you're putting the lid on your kid, and yeah. where's that balance of keeping their memory alive and building a legacy for them? But yeah, can we leave a box of shoes there forever? Uh, it's there's no right answer for that. It's whatever each individual yeah. feels they need to do to to keep themselves as healthy as possible. I think that's the most important aspect, right? You, it's going to be so different for everyone. You know, we're talking about mental health, what's worked for us, what what hasn't worked for us. You got to find what works for you, uh, what makes you tick, what helps you get through the day, what helps you get to the next day, to that next step, to that next point. Uh, it's going to be so different, but there's tons of different things um, you can do. I just doing a simple Google search of. Ways to deal with grief and mental health aspects. There, tons of things will come up for sure. Um, you know, one of the things that got me through a lot with my civilian therapist was I did that EMDR uh, therapy, and it really helped me um, get through some really hard, difficult feelings I was dealing with. Um, Specifically, you know, when I was in the hospital, I was making all the decisions for Mason. And, you know, as a dad, you feel like your job is to protect your kids. And when it doesn't go your way and then your, your kid passes, uh, goes to heaven, uh, you feel a lot of responsibility, a lot of weight on your shoulders, like you made some really poor decisions. And... My first six months, I experienced that a lot. I blamed myself very often for Mason's loss. And uh, EMDR therapy, uh, it really helped me to get to a point where I didn't blame myself anymore. I, it, you know, it's kind of hard to explain uh, what exactly it is. Um, it's like a just doing a quick search it says it's an interactive psychotherapy technique used to relieve psychological stress um, and that's obviously what we're going through right psychological stress and what i would do is i'd hold these buzzers in my hand and i'd close my eyes and the therapist would ask me a question and i'd answer it and then from my answer he'd ask another question 
and I'd answer it. And we kept going deeper and deeper. And it's like, you know, peeling the onion layers away deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where I finally got to that point where I was actually talking to Mason. I'm actually tearing up as I think about it. Cause I remember, I remember the session very well and, uh, yeah, it worked. I mean, it helped, it helped me get to the point where I can at least function again and think again. And, uh, but yeah, so that's something, if you're looking for something to help you, cause you've dealt through that extreme grief and sadness, uh, look up EMDR therapy, check it out. It was originally di- designed from my understanding for, um, military members, uh, from the stresses of war and they were able to um, converted into a normal therapy for everyone that deal with extreme PTSD, uh, could be any kind of PTSD and it worked for me. So something to consider, you know, we, Dan and I always want to throw little things out there of what can help you. Uh, if you ever want to look that up, EMDR therapy, it, it definitely works, or at least it worked for me a hundred percent. So. And for me, therapy, as I've, I didn't go through therapy. I met once with a licensed counselor and I just made the decision right then and there that I wasn't going to get anything out of it from her. Nothing against her. She was great. But I had been already talking with two guys from our church who I felt very comfortable with. And I felt when I was done talking with them, I felt as good as I did when I was done with my one session with this lady. So again, nothing against her. She was phenomenal. Um, But she wasn't meeting a need that somebody else wasn't already meeting for me. So I think the key thing is you got to find somebody to talk to. Um, And your wife isn't going to cut it. If, If you're dealing with the loss of your kid... Your wife is not going to be a good therapist for you. That's just, I think, a terrible, terrible road to go down if, if you expect to be able to help each other through this. Uh, but l- look for the people who, in your, who are in your life who you can truly be open and honest with. That would be my advice. And be willing to be vulnerable if you've listened to this show long enough you know that chris and i are are pretty wide open and we're we make ourselves pretty vulnerable a lot of the time with what we talk about and it it's not easy and that's why you got to find somebody that you trust it it's not an easy thing to do because you've got to be able to share your deepest darkest thoughts if you really want to get better and uh, whether that's a licensed therapist, a pastor from church, a good buddy that you have, um, but somebody that just finds somebody that you can open up to in a real raw way, and they're they're good listeners. I think for me, that's the number one trait: somebody who listens more than they talk, and then somebody that just they don't try to fix you; they just they listen, and. If, if everything you say is an attempt, they respond with some way to fix it, well, you should. I would think that's probably not the best person to be meeting with, at least in the first couple months when things are really, really raw. 
Yeah, I would agree 100%. Yeah, you you, you got to find someone that can listen. The vulnerability is the key. And I think that's why Dan and I like to do this podcast, showing dads specifically, anyone. But it, it, we've come to see, you know, if you go on grief pages on social media, you see there's a lot of women talking, not as many men talking. And even uh, I know Dan and I are both in a couple of uh, dads grief groups. And even though some of those pages are dead silent, nobody says anything at all. Almost like, why are we on this page? No one's talking. No one's trying to support each other. Um, you got to be willing to make yourself vulnerable and take that leap. And once you do, uh, boy, does it, it feels better. Uh, every time I went to therapy, I knew going in, I was going to have a hard session. I was going to cry and I was going to have a migraine when I left. And every single time it happened. But you know what? When I, Even though I had all those things, I felt better when I walked out the door because I wasn't holding all that in in my chest anymore and my just, you know, the anxiety letting it build up anymore. It was all gone. So you really got to be willing to say, okay, this is how I feel about these things to make it better. Um, another thing, Dan, I wanted to talk about, if you're okay with, um, you know, Dennis talked a lot about suicide right and a lot of people when you experience an extreme loss some people consider suicide i want to make sure we throw out the suicide hotline phone number uh it's the national suicide prevention uh lifeline it's 1-800-273-8255 there is a ton of help out there for people that are considering suicide um you know dan and i are talking specifically about people that are considering it after grief, after the loss, but really any kind of mental health issues, uh, and you're considering suicide, call that number, get the help you need. Um, there's a better way, you know, you're important. We want you to be here. Call that number. So I want to throw that out there real quick, Dan. Yeah. And I, as we've shared, I've thought about suicide many times. Um, I decided pretty early on that, it's it's not going to happen, but I still three years, three years later, I still, at least once or twice a week, think about man. I just need to walk into my closet and grab my gun, and it could be all over. Um, never going to do it. So it's not something that anybody needs to worry about with me. But man, that would make things so easy. It would be it would be so easy. And then I think about the side effect, and Erica and I have talked about this, of, okay, if, if I were to commit suicide, what does that do to Reese and Erica? It, it's not helping them at all, and it's making, I mean, it's just adding a whole new layer of a whole new round of grief to them. And I love them way too much to purposely put anything more on their plate and so it's just yeah it's just it is something I think about all the time and again I want I want other people especially dads to hear this uh, yeah I I would be willing to bet as a hundred percent of fathers who have lost their kids have thought about suicide more than once and it's not it's not the right answer 
because there there are other people in this world that we that care about us and we're just adding that weight to their shoulders and yeah it's hard this is a weight on our shoulders that is absolutely crushing and it it gives the appearance that there's never going to be an end to it but that's why I think Den again Dennis was so amazing at, at sharing the hope that someday that weight will get lighter and change when you're having those thoughts of suicide please call somebody and just find somebody that will listen somebody that will come be with you because we do have those people in our lives um, we had in a couple one of the grief groups I think it was no it was actually two local pages one of our local Facebook pages and then one of the local pages in the Raleigh area where we moved from just three weeks ago I think it was on each of those pages um, one was a young both of them were fairly young men posted I'm having a really bad day and my mental health is not good and I think that was absolutely amazing that two people who were hurting and I have to imagine that they were thinking about suicide that day from the way their words were they had the courage to publicly post my mental health is not good today I need help can somebody do something and the outpouring of love that they got from complete strangers was was a, a great thing to witness and I I wrote a direct message to both of them just saying hey I'm not a counselor but I have ears um, I'm I can understand why things suck sometimes as I lost my nine-year-old son and I'm, I'm grieving too and if you want to talk I'm here and both of them reached out privately to me and just said thanks and we we went back and forth multiple times and then both of them the next day or two came back and followed up thank you all I'm feeling a lot better um, and so it was just it was a great thing to see people reaching out when you need help it's not easy um, it it seems like something maybe that would be embarrassing or a sign of weakness or whatever especially for men uh, we're too we're too tough to admit that we're weak and broken and um, for the fellow fathers out there who have lost your kid I mean dude we just lost our kid it's okay to be broken it's it is totally okay to be broken and hurt and in shock and denial and whatever pissed off and whatever emotion we've earned the right as fathers and the mothers too we've earned that right to feel absolutely whatever we feel and what's not all right is certain actions that come from those feelings um, so please speak up find that person you can talk to and just as Chris said, just release it and, and lift that weight off your shoulders. Yeah. And if you are one of the people that are listening, you're not experiencing any grief right now, you don't have these suicidal thoughts, pay attention to those people that you think might be having those thoughts and ask the hard question, are you thinking of hurting yourself? 
I've had to ask that question numerous times uh, to friends and coworkers, and you'll know right away if they are. They'll break down crying. They can't hold it in. As soon as you ask the question, uh, they can't hold it in. And if you don't know what to do, you can take that person to the ER. You can take them to any emergency room, and they'll get them the help they need. Uh, so don't wait. Don't hesitate. Um, you know, just because if you're listening to this podcast or on the radio, um, you know, and you're not dealing with this stuff, there's a lot of it going on in our country and the whole world right now. So don't be afraid to be that person that reaches out and just says, I hear are you thinking of hurting yourself? Are you thinking of committing suicide? Trust me when I say you're going to know right away if they are or not. Trust your gut. So. Yeah. And I'd ask both of those young men that question. Of, yeah, are you, I think I said, are you physically safe? And both of them were like, oh, yes. I've thought about it, but no, I can't. And I felt I am not an expert by any means. But I felt very comfortable with their responses because, yeah, you can sometimes you can you can hear it. In, you can hear it in their words when things are really dire and when they're just having a, a crappy day. Yep, 100 percent. So well, I think. Um, maybe next week, there's a lot of thoughts I've had that I'm super embarrassed to share because uh, they're, they're really ugly thoughts. Um, but I think, again, in the, in the terms of coping with our mental health struggles and, again, just trying to help other people, especially other dads, um, I hope next, maybe in the next episode, I might share some of the really ugly thoughts that I've had because they come, and they come often, and, again, they're ugly. Um, but I want to I want to get those out there again, just to hopefully show other people grieving that it is normal. Um, we're 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 walking through the valley of hell right now, and and your mind goes places that you're just shocked as a human being that you could think think things like that. Oh, I'm, I'm on the same page. I, I think we we very natural and normal to actually have some of those thoughts and you know that's why we're doing this as a team and uh, getting those things out there getting it off your chest uh, i think you'll probably feel better in the long run um, we'll yep. get there when you're ready dude <laughs> yep so chris anything else about just the initial mental health discussion that you want other people to hear uh you know just to reiterate you have to do what's best for you and your family when you're going through grief, whether that's a counselor, a pastor, going to church, a best friend. Uh, find somebody that you feel comfortable talking to. Let yourself get vulnerable and talk. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. And you'd be surprised how that talking makes you feel better in the long run. It's going to hurt. There's no doubt about it. When you talk, it's going to hurt. Uh, but you're going to feel better that you're not holding it in. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing I want to make sure I throw out there. Yeah. And for me, I guess the, sum, the wrap up would be um, my mental health is different than Erica's mental health and hers is different than Reese's mental health. We're all different. And it, again, it's one of the many layers of the onion that we have to peel away. 
when we're walking through grief of how do we how do we deal with ourselves on our own health but also try to be a husband and try to be a father and whatever the roles are in our life um it's it's hard but realize everybody's different and we can't fix each other and it's at least i would i think it's safe to say that we can't help each other a whole lot by listening because of our own pain where again we need to we need to find those separate outlets um for me it was two buddies at church erica had a couple friends from raleigh come out that were really helpful um but just find those people and don't don't expect them to be the same for you and a spouse and your child um, they all have to be different in most cases i would think so all right dan you want to close us out sure so again as always um chris and i are here um we we are open to those hard discussions if you if you need anything at all please reach out to us and we're not professionals but we know we at least know some people who are that hopefully we can get connected to but we're at least here to listen and let you release the weight off your shoulders so please if you need to talk reach out to us uh, miles for mason memorial dot com right chris correct and chris at miles for mason memorial dot com and miles for mason on facebook uh info at jameson's org and jameson's joy on facebook and um pm either of us on our personal accounts and we'd be we'd be honored to to listen and try to help you with whatever step of this process that you're on and uh, I guess other than that, we'll, uh, we'll continue the discussion next time on mental health and some of the sick thoughts that we're having. And I guess that's about it, right, Chris? I think that's it. Yeah, so. everyone have a, a great week, weekend. Hopefully the weather is starting to get better around everyone, getting closer to spring, and uh, let's try to make the best day that we can. All right. So thanks for listening to to our episode this week. Thanks, as always, to WMQL Radio in Brevard for airing our show. Just trying to help get our voice out there to help more people. And we'll see you next time on A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache.